All right, we're going to go ahead and get started with the next panel here. We have the uh, product panel, uh, which I'm pleased to moderate. My name is Chris Weatherby. I'm the Senior Transportation and Shipping Analyst at City. Um, thanks, Nicholas, for having me back uh, to, to host this panel. We're pretty excited here. It's going to be an interesting one. We're getting a little late in the day, and it's awfully warm in here, so we're going to try to keep this uh, with a little bit of energy here. Um, it's, a, it's a good lineup that we have today. So um, we have Anthony Gurry, the, the CEO of Ardmore, Marco Fiore, CEO of D'Amico, and Jacob Meldgard, the CEO of Torm. And, and I think I want to start off with maybe a little bit of perspective from each one of you guys on how you see the market today. I think sort of the, the topic that we all want to know about is when the market will improve. So we've seen kind of a bit of a run here coming off, let's hope, the bottom. Um, kind of curious to get a sense of your expectations for how the year is going to finish and then, you know, when we can start to see that inflection point. I think a lot of people are excited about 19, particularly the second half, but wanted to get your perspective. So maybe if we could start with a minute or two from each of you on that topic and then we can jump into some more interesting Q&A. So Anthony, I'll just kick it off to you because you're just to my left here. Chris, uh, yeah, I, I guess our perspective is that we definitely hit a bottom in our, in our sector, which is MRs, um, in kind of June, July this year. Uh, and since then, it's been gradually recovering. Um, so we're, we're at uh, still quite low levels, but uh, there is a, what I would call a mild upward trajectory. And I think right now we're, we're all looking at the bigger ships, um, which, t you know, traditionally have the impact of, you know, kind of pulling up the, the smaller sizes as well. Um, I think we were hoping that we would see a product tanker-led recovery. Um, so far, that's not obviously happening. Um, in the absence of that, we're very pleased to see these and Suez Maxes and now even Aframaxes start to do quite well. Uh, we think that'll have an impact, and we think it'll continue to gradually strengthen for MRs uh, through the winter. Okay. Marco? Um, well, I tend to agree with, uh, with Tony. I think the worst part is behind us, the inflection point we have reached it. I think there's many things that point to, to a recovery. Uh, the big ships picking up, uh, inventories down. So I think, uh, I think we're, we're getting very close to it. Now, how, when and how it's going to happen? I think what's going to happen probably the next month, there's going to be an increase in volatility, which was uh, kind of absent. The market was totally dead. Uh, and then slowly moving up from there, you know, with more volatility. And then the, the next high is going to be higher than the previous high. So moving a little bit in that direction. I think a very good sign, like Tony says, is that the bigger ships on the crude have been moving up. That's, uh, that's a very good indication also. Great. <clears throat> Jacob? Yeah, difficult not to agree. Uh, I, I would say that uh, it's been disappointing, uh, and, and having been on this panel numerous times uh, and calling for that, yes, we have better times ahead of us, it feels as if it's pretty much same old, same old, that uh, we're coming off a, a bad market. I think the inflection point is absolutely difficult to read, but, but the IMO 2020, the disruption to the market that we just also heard on the previous panel, and sort of the logistical chain around bunkering will be positive for product tankers without a doubt. So if nothing else, then a step change in the market should be expected somehow or somewhere uh, in the middle of uh, 19. Okay. I'm probably gonna be a little careful until then. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, that's helpful. Um, let's talk a little bit about trade lanes and, and where 
maybe we should start to see some of the green shoots pop up. There's been some market share shifts to the larger crude tankers, given the weakness that we're seeing there, but I think all of you mentioned, or at least two of the three of you mentioned, uh, improvement on the Vs, and, and potentially maybe that allows that capacity to not sort of dip into the product space, but where are the trade lanes that we should expect to see sort of the first signs of life as we look out, you know, whether it be this year or, or at some point in 2019? Maybe I'll start again back down with you, Jacob, if you could kick it off and we'll kind of work around a little bit. So that's an interesting dynamic to whether you're in a area where we have very high complexity around our trade routes and probably let's say can count more than 80 meaningful trade routes to then pinpoint one. However, uh, as I see it, an interesting thing to follow is that with the higher input cost into the refinery sector because of the higher crude uh, prices currently, whether some of the uh, more experienced and older refiners, especially in Europe, will finally sort of have to either uh, lower their utilization rate or uh, even close down over time. And that that will lead to more trade from Middle East and the new refinery sectors uh, there into Europe. This is something that we've all been counting on for a longer period, but it's really never taken off. It's not, it's not played out uh, with higher ton mile and the cross trade from uh, AG back into uh, the Atlantic and vice versa because refiners in uh, continental Europe and in the Mediterranean has been were given a lifeline because of a lower input cost of fruit. And that led to that they could sort of survive in that environment. I think the combination of higher crude price and the fact that you have this disruption around IMO 2020 where uh, the lower end of the barrel, the, the lower products uh, will not be as profitable as they've been that that should actually benefit uh, that trade from Middle East into Europe, substituting uh, the products that were traditionally uh, produced by the refiners there. So I, if I were going to point to one out of a very complex system, sure. that would be the one that I would be hopeful of will have a meaningful increase in demand. Okay. And then, Marco, is there anything that we were not we're not anticipating or seeing yet where you think there could be some incremental or a newer trade line, lane opened up? Uh, I want to talk about IMO, but just sort of dip into it a little bit. New trade lanes opened up potentially as we're seeing different refineries positioned differently to handle the barrel, um, you know, I guess in different ways. So you have sort of higher value, um, newer capacity focused on different lanes than maybe the guys who can still break the bottom of the barrel. So just kind of get a sense of maybe how you think about that if there's new lanes coming out. Um, look, one thing that I found interesting was the news, I think, a few days ago, that the Chinese uh, private refinery got an increase of their pool about 40%. So you say, I think that uh, there is going to be an increase there of, uh, of refining uh, capacity. Um, I think new trade lanes, uh, you have very much the fact of uh, uh, Latin America is also picking up dramatically. I think probably uh, now there are, you can start seeing more exports uh, that will continue to grow down to Latin America. So I think that 
As, uh, as Jacob said, probably the, be the Middle East probably driving it a little bit, uh, the whole recovery, because Europe will be, the, what Europe has been substituting a lot in this situation, Europe has had a pickup of the refining capacity, because European refineries are not very efficient. But I think with the higher margins that were created, they've been able to compete. But as we go down in a more stable world, I think uh, Europe will be importing more, and then everything, the whole world will be a little bit uh, gearing itself. So uh, I think that uh, uh, also Latin America probably will be another area where you'll have to be watching kind of closely how they're going to be developing. Anthony, anything you want to add there? Uh, not a lot. I mean, I, I think, I, you know, I think there's an ongoing trend of an increase in north-south trades, um, you know, in our business um, because, uh, you know, there's just an increasing uh, market um, in South America and Africa. Um, they're not able to meet their demand uh, domestically with refineries down there. So that's, that's an ongoing um, uh, expansion um, that, you know, maybe gets kind of overlooked or we're kind of trying to look for specifics, but it's quite a powerful trend. Um, and I would agree that Latin America, um, I think there are very specific things happening in both Mexico and Brazil, mm -hmm. um, which should result in incremental strength, uh, you know, uh, coming out of that. West Africa seems to be back up to kind of, you know, normal levels of activity and kind of, you know, the normal pattern of growth there. Will LATAM be mostly a U.S. export trade, or will there be other sources of product going into LATAM? It's, it's all depending on pricing, but it seems like it's largely a, uh, a U.S. Gulf trade. Got it. So, yeah. Okay. Helpful. So let's talk a little bit about the order book. So we've seen a significant rationalization of the order book as it stands right now. So when we look out over the course of the next couple of years, we want to get your perspective on what you think actual fleet growth might look like uh, when you take into account potential deletions from the fleet. Um, you kind of need, to, I guess, to take a view of how maybe IMO 2020 plays out over the course of the next 18 months or so. Um, but Anthony, maybe I'll just start with you. How do you think about sort of fleet development the next couple of years, 1920? Yeah, well, this, this is a drum we've been beating for a while. Um, and, you know, if you look at the MR sector alone, the order book is still around 5%, which is effectively a historical low. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting this year is that the, uh, the delivery rate has been virtually offset by scrapping. So, mm -hmm. so the MR space has virtually zero um, uh, net, net fleet growth. Um, we think that'll continue into 2019, um, uh, you know, as well. So, so we think that from a sector-specific standpoint, we're very well set. Um, with regard to fleet growth and, and supply. Um, but what's a little more problematic are the larger sizes, um, even up into the crude uh, uh, space. Um, so, you know, we're also looking at the LR2 order book. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually come down a lot. A lot of it's been absorbed. Um, but I think that you have to look at, at those, um, uh, you know, on a, on a tandem basis to fully understand what's going on. Um, but overall, when it comes to supply and, and quite honestly, demand fundamentals, we're, we're still very bullish. Um, you know, we've got good global oil consumption growth. The global economy seems to be fine. Um, what we're dealing with now, in fact, um, if I could just ramble a little bit. Sure. Um, uh, actually, bunker prices have taken $2,000 a day out of RTC over the past year. So there are certain things like that that are going on that are, little, little, you, know, you know, kind of easy to forget. Um, but that's, that's been... Uh, certainly a factor, but I think we're just in this really unfortunate um, oil market dynamic now where, you know, we are through the, uh, the inventory uh, wind down, that's, that's true, but we're looking at relatively um, high and um, relatively stable oil prices, which is not a good environment for oil trading. And we like to say that when oil traders do well, we do well. 
um, and right now they're you know they're they're risk off and and just managing their books and uh, their book of business and being quite conservative. Um, it may take a while for for us to get there, but we think that IMO 2020 will change all of that. Okay, yeah. that's helpful. Marco, if I could get your view, but maybe throwing in another piece here to the extent that you know we've heard some we've heard some bullish oil price forecasts across the street over the course of the last month or two. Kind of curious your view, um, you know, about sort of the outlook for fleet development and then how demand, you put that in context with demand, if crude really does ramp up and, and sort of we continue to see another leg higher here towards 100 or maybe even, you know, potentially above that. Look, um, <clears throat> going back to what Tony said that I totally agree, I think there's also a few other things that have to be considered in, the, in these tough years that we had in the past. First of all, that what's been kind of amazing is that prices of new build has been very sustained. And probably this is one of the reasons why you don't see a huge order book. Second, uh, second reason you have in, uh, in, this, uh, in this situation is that we operate in a very kind of niche protected market. You had a lot of shipyards who were building product tankers. Now we're down considerably to, in Korea, you have probably only one, which is Hyundai. Uh, SDX is on a very limited capacity. Uh, Japan is there with three, four yards, but they're incredibly expensive ships. We're talking over 40 million compared to the 36, 37 that you have in Korea and China. And in China, you have mainly one yard, which is GSI. So we live in a kind of a protected space because there's not a huge capacity. Everybody can build product tankers. Uh, prices have been uh, sustained, so that's another good thing that uh, people have been slowed down by the price that uh, has not been coming off. And uh, I think that the, the, the reduction also, furthermore, that prices have not gone down is mainly for two reasons. One is for inflation that you had. Korean yards have been uh, facing a situation of uh, uh, dollar, which is, uh, has been a bit weaker on, 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 the, on, their, on their side. And then especially, all of them, I think, especially the Chinese and the Koreans, they've been facing governments which have said, look, guys, you can take orders. We're going to confirm your orders and issue refundment guarantees only if you make a profit. So I think we're out of that dynamic of just building for the sake of building and just creating uh, employment and keeping people employed. Today, we're in more in a dynamic. If it makes sense, you get the, the backup. If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't get, you don't get the backup. So I think on the, on the supply side, the picture is pretty good. You, know, you won't see this huge uh, rush for orders unless you, you see prices spiking up dramatically. And then if prices spike up dramatically, it's going to be the usual mistakes of all, uh, of all owners, us included, uh, which everybody will be starting to go and look at some new buildings. And uh, when other people will tell them, why are you doing it? Uh, the typical answer is, well, if I don't do it, somebody else will do it, which is also a valid comment. Uh, but it doesn't help the industry, I think. So I think for the next couple of years, we should have a very subdued environment because I really don't see it, uh, people rushing for, for new buildings. Also because there's some great opportunities on second-hand tonnage, which is probably the space people should be looking and people are looking at it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a very complex situation. If you want, we can, uh, we can go more into it and I'm sure that Jacob and uh, and Tony have their opinion on this. But you know, it's, it's interesting that you know, people want to buy ships, but then if you look at the right ships, the echo ships, uh, post uh, 2013, there's nobody willing to sell it uh, 
reasonable prices. So there is this uh, shared thing that uh, there is a limited supply of ships, and everybody is very bullish about those ships. Jacob, I saw you taking some notes there. What, what's your view on the order yeah. book and fleet development? I, I think Marku hit hit on the nail that that once you hit the inflection point on the demand side, there's no doubt that the product tanker space, in my opinion, is well protected from uh, falling into that certainly you're gonna see a lot of capacity coming on stream because there has been a clear reduction in yard capacity over the last five years, especially in Korea, which were very, very efficient and good at building ships, but, but that's uh, still the case, but on this in this case, not on uh, 10 yards, but now in maybe two or three yards. So the capacity medium term to sort of just certainly come in and uh, destroy uh, uh, the stronger for longer in the product tanker space is not there. So once we hit the inflection point, I really don't see anything that can sort of spoil it uh, because the current order book is very manageable and the risk of the order book certainly exploding the way we saw back in 2012, 13, 14 is, is really uh, no longer there. Of course it can come back again if we have a, a real strong market for a very long time, but uh, then I'll yeah, I'll be enjoying myself until then. Fair enough. Um, so let's talk about IMO and, and sort of how you guys see this process playing out next year. I, I think a lot of investors are excited about the prospects. It sounds like you all are excited about the prospects of next year and how sort of supply demand is lining up in this context. But, you know, timing is always the most challenging thing in shipping investing because if you get it wrong, you get everything wrong. So can you give us a sense, maybe Tony, start with you, what your thoughts are in terms of you know, rate development as we think about next year? Is this a, a mid-year dynamic? Is it uh, earlier than that? Or do we really need to wait to sort of see what happens? Because I still think that there's a decent amount of uncertainty of exactly how this plays out. Right, and, and that's, that's absolutely right. I don't think anybody really knows yet. Um, but maybe, maybe one thing to start off with is a point that perhaps should come later, but it shouldn't be ignored, is the fact that we're definitely heading toward much higher oil price volatility. Yep. And that's generally certainly very, very good for the product tanker business. Um, and so that, that's something that's coming. Um, Arguably, you could see uh, a pickup. Okay, so for the product tanker sector, just take a step back. Um, the question is, you know, um, you know, how are all the incremental volumes of required for MGO um, um, going to be moved, and, and mm -hmm. from where and to where? Um, and uh, the the estimates of, of of increased demand from various research analysts come in at around 10 percent of an increase in, in aggregate product tanker uh, ton-mile demand um, you know, through, through 2020. The question is, when does that really start to build? Logically, I mean, you know, the, you know, the, the implementation date is January 1st, but the, the preparation for that probably has to begin, you know, as certainly no less than three months, but probably more like six months in mm -hmm. advance. I mean, it takes a while to move cargoes into position, but before then, um, there has to be a lot of cleaning and preparation. There might be uh, temporarily floating storage of the new product. And we're not just talking about gas oil. We're also talking about, uh, to the extent Exxon and Shell can make them available in time, or SEPSA, you know, the new uh, uh, very low sulfur fuel uh, oil blends. That's all going to have to start moving. And uh, when that does, um, you're going to start, you know, you're going to start seeing, uh, uh, 
you know, a ramp up in ton mile demand. And given how, you know, okay, admittedly weak the market is right now, but probably not that far away from balance we are, it probably won't take much to really start moving rates. So I would argue that we're going to see things to improve uh, meaningfully at least uh, beginning of the third quarter next year. So. Next year. Okay. Marco, any perspective? I like to put people uh, on the spot in terms I, of timing. I agree with, uh, with Tony. We are planning to start uh, uh, implementing changes in the after uh, Q2 of uh, next year. So we go back on a schedule of six months. And, uh, and you know, but there's going to be a lot of volatility also on the oil because I was talking over lunch. And uh, there's going to be also big delta on the crude side. There's going to be big inefficiency on the crude side because at the end of the day, refineries will be trying to secure the supply of the feedstock that has uh, the sweeter feedstock, so that has less sulfur. So that's, that's going to be another positive thing. So there's going to be also big delta also in the, in the crude how it's going to move. There's going to be a lot of, uh, of, of juggling there. So I think everybody's going to be positioning themselves in a different way. And the benefit of all of this uh, is that there's going to be a lot of uh, confusion at the beginning, a lot of new routes opened, and this will happen until January 2020. And then once we have all this disruption, wait to see also the slow steaming that's going to follow later on for trying to minimize the bunker consumption of, uh, of more expensive bunkers. So I think that should be the, really the icing on the cake. So you start seeing some inflow of, 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 of movement starting to move already in the second six months, and then you start living in a new environment with a more expensive bunker where people will have to start doing things also for that. Okay, that's helpful. And Jacob, I want to add a little bit of a wrinkle here. I want, I want to talk a little bit about scrubbers and, and the economics and your thought process behind that. So you and I you have left a it to the last nine minutes. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, yes. I'm curious about, you know, sort of your, your thoughts on um, the payback potentials, just roughly speaking, sort of how you guys think about that. Um, what needs to happen for that payback economics to be really interesting for you? And then maybe what your thoughts are and what percentage of the product fleet ultimately ends up with scrubbers. Well, I think if I start from the, the, the back end of it, then um, I, I have absolutely no overview of how many will uh, will participate in the scrubber. I would I would guesstimate that it's predominantly in the LR2 and LR1 segments and lesser, to a lesser degree in the MR segments. But how you would look at it uh, uh, is depending, of course, on the composition of your fleet and your availability of funding. Because obviously the capex involved is not only it's not only uh, the cost of the scrubber itself, it's also the off-hire time uh, that you would be engaged uh, with, with having its, uh, its other associated costs. And you are, in essence, in some instances, advancing your capex because it will make no sense to take your vessel out of service to install a scrubber over two, three weeks, whatever uh, time, you, time frame you have, without also doing your regular dry dock. So, I think it, it will depend on case by case. In our, uh, for, for our case, we are uh, fortunate to have some new builds that are coming on stream in 19 and 20. There, the installation cost for us will be very, very low because you're just doing it in parallel with the building, which I'm sure other ship owners are also uh, looking at. So there, the absolute capex, I would guesstimate, is 40, 50% lower than in the case of a retrofit. And therefore also, your payback time 
irrespective of what fuel price spread you use, will be lower. So that's like almost a no-brainer for us on our 13 new bills. We will be installing scrubber across the segments, whether LR2, LR1, or MRs. In terms of retrofit there, the type of vessels that make sense for us is the larger ones with the higher consumption, so that's the LR2s, and that's, I think it's gonna be the prominent vessel class for uh, the product center space to have uh, scrubbers installed. Okay, Tony, any strong opinions on scrubbers? Yeah, I think we, you know, we, uh, our view is that for MRs that are engaged in kind of worldwide and fairly unpredictable trading patterns, it, it you know, the economics are not obvious to us. Um, so we're, we're taking a wait and see attitude, but mm -hmm. we certainly uh, agree that on the, on the larger ships, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you know where you're going. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so. Okay. And then I wanted to ask a question in that context, sort of, you know, 15-year-old or older ships starting to get to be a, you know, more meaningful size of the overall fleet. What percentage of that fleet doesn't survive the sort of 2020 time frame? It, do you expect to see a meaningful step up in, in scrapping? I'll stay here, Tony, and then maybe Marco can chime in too. I think it's very much a function of the freight market. So okay. if, if freight rates are, are strong, there's, you, you know, obviously you won't see a lot of scrapping. Um, so I think probably in the product tanker sector, where ships tend to last 23 to 25 years anyway, uh, you, you're probably not going to see a lot of scrapping on the back of it because we expect a much stronger freight market. But maybe for different uh, sectors, that, that will have a big impact. Okay. Marco, same view? Uh, similar. Uh, just I uh, want to make a little uh, reference. I think history uh, has an important place in all of this. If you think about um, what happened with the double hull, uh, before uh, the, the implementation of double hull, you needed uh, two single hull ships to be sold to replace it with the double hull, then you needed three, then you needed four, and then who waited too long had to come out of the business because could not anymore uh, replace uh, meaningfully his ships. I think that uh, at the beginning, uh, ships depends very much on the freight market, like Tony says, but slowly there's going to be a shift towards more modern ships. Uh, because at the end of the day, we don't want, uh, we probably don't get rewarded for it, but at the end of the day, I think most owners tend to be, especially in public traded companies, we tend to gravitate towards more modern tonnage. Because of the, we, our customers is what they request. Uh, I repeat, probably we don't get rewarded financially for that, but it's what they, it's kind of the entry ticket for, for dealing with certain, uh, with certain names. So I think slowly we'll be gravitating towards more modern tonnage. Okay. We have five minutes left. I want to make sure if the audience has any questions that they have an opportunity. So if you do, feel free to raise your hand. We'll get you a mic or certainly repeat your questions. So go ahead down in front here. I don't know if we have, yeah, we have a mic coming your way. Hang on one second. I'm Jason Silver from Ocean Intelligence. Um, I was wondering, I was wondering about, um, um, I guess, uh, black swans that may affect the product market, for example, um, um, the apparent decline in demand for diesel. Um, you know, there's a, there, there was a lot of talk about how um, you know a lot of cities around Europe are starting to ban the use of diesel in cars. And I wonder um, what kind of impact something like that that wasn't expected not too long ago could have on the product market. 
my personal opinion, I think it's going to be a wash because if you have a corresponding decrease in diesel, but you're going to have an increase in gasoline. Today, today you start seeing the shift, especially in Europe, at least where, where I live and where I see. You see people talking less and less of buying diesel cars and more people back shifting back to, to, to gasoline. Uh, I think the diesel shift also has been very much uh, pressured by environmental issues, but also by fiscal reasons. For example, in, uh, in France, diesel cars, you have a lot of diesel cars because for many years there was a lower taxation on diesel than there was on gasoline. So it was the government that in order to stimulate that part of the market decided to do that. The moment they're reducing the fiscal incentives like they've been doing real slowly, I think you start moving back to, to gasoline. So I think will be a substitution effect between the two. Uh, as long as transportation needs are growing like the same they're growing, I think it's good for us. So one more question I have, and if there's any last questions from the audience, we're running short on time here. So thinking about this from an equity investor's perspective, so it's a big capital raising in the sector. If any of you guys were in a scenario where you were flush with incremental cash tomorrow, um, how do you sort of prioritize deleveraging? Do you go into the new build market? Are there secondhand opportunities? Do you save the money and focus on scrubber installations? How, how do you prioritize use of capital as it stands right now? Tony, I'll start down here with you. So I, I, it's fairly simple. I think when the con within the context of being uh, financially conservative, we would be buying kind of seven to 10 year old MRs. Okay. Yeah. Jacob? So I think right now we'll probably put the cash a little aside and then I would keep my optionality to either go for scrubbers or to go for second-hand tonnage. Okay, so delever, and delever off the bat and then have some firepower to go if you need it. Yeah. Okay, Marco, your view? Uh, this one I would go like Jacob, I think deleveraging also because it's normal, you know, we're in the lowest part of the cycle, so normally it would be a leveraged on the highest levels, and so you start moving into a better cycle, you start the first thing deleveraging, and then you keep the firepower for deciding what to do, so I think, uh, I think the important thing is that whatever we do, we try to have some discipline. That's the most important message. But uh, uh, I'm the first one not to have it. So you know what, what can I tell you? You know. So <laughs> that's a gr that's a great message to end on. Uh, any last <laughs> questions from the audience? Otherwise, we'll wrap up. Okay. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris.